Welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us.com. I'm TJ, joined today by Brent. Hi, TJ. And Chris. Hi, Brent. Confusion. <laughs> We're going to talk about what we've been watching and uh, this week's news, maybe. I don't know how much news there is. Still kind of a dead time of year yeah. for cinema. There's a couple things. Yep. And uh, tell you what to go watch this weekend. It's, but it's weirdly my favorite part, despite being the biggest protester when we started doing it because I didn't understand <laughs> it. You didn't get it. Yeah. I remember you being like, it's obviously the kids' movie. <laughs> we're like, what? <laughs> Why? Why is that? <laughs> Chris is always a fan of kids' movies. But uh, watch list is first. Brent, you going to kick it off? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I wasn't with the podcast last week, so I'm going to double up and sh- tell you about a whole bunch of movies that I watched. I finally got around to the 2016 movie Moana. Yes. And that was delightful. I it, really, really liked Moana. It was a great way to describe that film. It was yeah. delightful. How'd you like the music? Uh, it was um, apparently not as memorable as our, uh, as it should have been because uh, after the movie was over, I, I was trying to think of the songs and I could only think of like two of them. Uh, there's the one that she sings over and over and over again, right. which is really good. Yeah. It's really good. And I love the payoff after like when she's on the raft and the, the grandma manta ray visits her. Yeah. And it yeah. does like the key change like... So cool, yeah. And I like that that uh, the song that all the the her like uh, forefathers sing out on the boats. They're oh. like exploring song. It's like the weird. So the, did the one song not get stuck in your head? The consider the coconuts. The what? The where they're telling her about how the the first song where they're telling her about why she needs to stay on the island and how the island gives us oh. what we need. Yeah, completely forgot that song. That's the one I got stuck. <laughs> Me and Chris. Well, we, Granted, me and Chris also only watched 20 minutes of it the first night we watched it, and we were drunk, so the next day we were like, consider the coconut. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd completely forgot about the crab song, too. The, the, Shiny. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I just remember that because it's, it's, it's Jermaine from Flight of the Concords right. doing his best fucking David Bowie impression. <laughs> obviously Jermaine, too. Yeah. So obviously him. And then uh, the, the song that uh, The Rock's character sings, too. Completely forgot that one, too. Yeah. But uh, you're welcome. But it was a it was a very enjoyable movie. I liked it. It was very yeah. simple. It's good, a good ending. Yeah, for kids. Yeah. Do uh, just to just to kind of you know derail you from your uh, movie list. <clears throat> do you you know what I'm going to save the question. I'm going to save the question for a future podcast. Yeah. Cool. For a topic. Okay. <laughs> uh, I watched a movie from uh, last year that I know you guys all saw. That I just now got around to the Disaster Artist. Finally saw it. Still haven't seen the room, but saw the Disaster Artist, and I feel like I've seen the room to an extent. Yeah, there's yeah. They even go to painstaking lengths in the closing credits to show you how true they were. Look how good we were. Probably <laughs> because they don't think that no one will believe it's that bad. That and was a, that was a big problem with the cinema score. Is that is that the one they do right when people are leaving? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is people were giving it. They, Low marks. They said it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So then, after like the first like run, they added some of that at the end. Yeah, I mean, I knew how bad it was, but I didn't know it was that bad. Chris and I watched it with the girls for the first time last year. Room, yeah, or the room. Yes, the room, mm-hmm. and uh, it was fucking awful. It's just as bad as every clip I'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah, bad but interesting. Do you th- when you watch the movie when you watch the Disaster Artist? Did you feel like it was? Reverent towards Tommy, or mean spirited, or just uh, the right mix of both. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's reverent. I think that there is 
knowing also, well, no, not not even considering the relationship that I, that James Franco and Tommy Wiseau had after, like during like the the awards push. You know, it's they include parts in there that were from Greg Sestero's book about how their story is the story of the American dream, like is striking out on your, on your own and being successful and not letting anyone tell you what the right measure of success is, mm-hmm. and just you know <clears throat> doing it. And that's the adapted screenplay part. Is right. Based 100 on that book. I read the book. Tommy Wiseau is such a character. Like you can't do it probably honestly without being a little mean spirited with your like impression of him and and with. But at the same time, I don't know. I didn't have like a. I asked that question. I don't really have an answer for, as for how I felt. I just I could sense it at times. It was like it kind of feels like it's piling on at times, and then at others it kind of praises him for making a bunch of people happy by making this weird movie. Um, yeah, I think it's both, right? I think it's you can't not do it because the guy's making a movie that you know is his dream, and he thinks it's amazing, and it is categorically awful, right? And that's what the movie's about. So you can't not be a little mean spirited mm-hmm. when you're taking this guy who invested his own money and made a movie that he thought should be nominated for Oscars, and make a movie about how it sucks without being a little douchey about it. But at the same time. At the end, I think you're kind of delivered on that. Like, hey, man. Yeah. This I mean, is a you thing. And, like, and he needed help along the way. He needed those two guys who, like, demanded the movie theater keep showing the movie or whatever. Yeah. Y'all read that story? The, like, the, how it started. Berkeley students? Yeah. yeah. How, the, how it gained cult status. It was, like, college students were like, we want to come to this theater every Friday and watch this movie and get high and wasted. Yeah. So show it every Friday. And, uh, I mean, it wouldn't have happened without Wazo. So, it's hard. It's why it's an interesting story, though, I think. Yeah. It's why the movie's not just about a bad movie. It was actually interesting. Right. I definitely enjoyed the movie. Uh, I thought it was funny. Very funny. <clears throat> a lot of parts. Seth Rogen was really funny in the movie. Yeah. He's he's also... He was one of the people who is instrumental in The Room being popular because he was at one of those Friday showings that were happening for he didn't know why. With James. Yeah. And so the two of them saw it like really early on and it was still just like at that theater. And it had been, like, in the backs of their minds forever. Yeah. Yeah. But he's really funny. I really like Paul Shear And, uh... Um, Paul Shear was good. Who's the other... Oh, who's who's the guy who sold him the camera equipment? Is that Hannibal Burris? Yes. Yeah. I love, like, all those small roles of just people, like, interacting with Wazoo's orbit. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, like, everyone's treating it like a... Is this guy for real? <laughs> like, when, the, when Rogan goes to go cash that check... The bank teller's like, whoa. He's like, you should see the account it comes from. And yeah. he looks at it and he's like, okay, here's your money. <laughs> um, but yeah, I recommend The Disaster Artist to anyone who hasn't seen it yet. It's on Amazon, I think, Yeah. Now? So, yeah. Cool. Uh, I watched, uh, this was a rewatch 2010 movie. I saw it in the theaters and I had not seen it since, but uh, Shutter Island. Oh, the cool. Martin Scorsese movie. It's a forgetful good movie. It is a good movie, yeah. And so I was actually curious. I always find it interesting to go back and rewatch twist movies mm-hmm. because you wonder if the movie can kind of stand. Because the first time you watch a movie that has a that's a big mystery with a twist, you're so focused on like, what's it going to be? What's the you know what's the mystery? And you're you're focused on the plot more than anything else, right? And so it's interesting to go back and see if the movie can kind of stand after knowing what the twist of the movie is. And I thought it did. I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's uh, I think it's a solid movie. It's a uh, 
if you go back and rewatch the movie knowing the ending and you just watch it as a movie about like nightmarish guilt and whatnot and how that can affect someone then uh, I think it's I think it works really well you know who did the soundtrack for that movie which is I think a standout who's uh, that Robbie Robertson oh nice yeah who's that the band <laughs> okay um, that is I'm notoriously awful at predicting twists even when I know twists are coming and that is one movie that I pegged in like 10 minutes the first time I saw it oddly nice yeah yeah, there's there's some clunky parts late in the movie, like when uh, there's this real, really weird part where they just one character just explains everything that's happened the whole movie, and he spends like five minutes to be like, "And you know that one thing you, you that happened? Well, that was actually this, and it's just a weird exposition moment that's kind of irritating." So, I feel like that's a movie. It's just like name ten Martin Scorsese movies that I would probably leave that off. Even though I don't know if I've seen 10 Martin Scorsese movies. <laughs> I think it might still be his highest grossing movie. Huh. I think it was when it came out. It was after, it was like, it was the next, after The Departed, right? Yeah, this is 2010. So this is about three years after The Departed, so. That makes sense then. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, I watched The Departed. I also watched The Departed. And I watched that, um, it's been the first time in years that I'd seen The Departed. And same for you, right? I haven't seen it since 08 when it came out. Yeah. I mean, I saw it at home. Before we move past it too far, uh, Box Office Mojo has the <clears throat> lifetime gross is The Departed. Oh. At $132 million, and that's adjusted for inflation as well. That's domestic. And then worldwide unadjusted, it's Wolf of Wall Street. Oh. Whoa. Weird. And then Shut Around, Departed, Aviator. Okay. Huh. How big a fan were you of The Departed when it came out? I was a little... I was just getting into my Oscar love, so I was a little probably kind of preachy about how it sucks to score who finally won for this. This isn't anywhere close to his best movie. And I still kind of hold true to that, but it's a lot better than I thought it was then, I think, on the rewatch. Yeah, I was kind of the opposite. I was a, a, a big fan of this movie when it came out. Yeah. Huge fan. Because um, I liked Goodfellas, and it just felt like a modernized Goodfellas to me, Irish mob instead of Italian mob, but uh, yeah. So on the rewatch, I don't think I like it as much as Goodfellas. I don't think I like it as much as a few of his. You love Goodfellas too, though. Yeah, a few of his best movies. I don't think the. It's not really the performance's fault, but I don't think the characters have really as much depth to them in The Departed. There's so many. Because there's so many, it's it's an ensemble movie and it's fun. It's definitely a fun movie. Um, but the one thing that stuck out to me, which I will talk about, is uh, I really noticed, and I very rarely notice the editing in movies, and I noticed the editing in The Departed. You talked to me about it, so I put it really well when you told me. And, and it's some I picked up on in the movie, and who knows, this might just be the way I saw it, and I might be completely wrong if you went back and tried to, you know... Match up what you're... D- Double-check me. Right. But, um, but I got the feeling that, like... The editing, it was like really quick cuts when it was anything being shown from like Matt Damon or Leonardo DiCaprio's perspective, like showing their characters. And uh, whereas other characters, when it focused on them, it would just be kind of longer takes. And to me, I thought that did a really good job of making you nervous for those two characters by constantly, I thought it did a good job of showing their paranoia through editing. Yeah. Um, How... 
Because they're basically the same in the movie. They are mirrors of one another. They're both rats. And, I mean, one just happens to be working for the good guys and one happens to be working for the bad guys. But you kind of empathize with both of them throughout the movie to an extent. Like you kind of... Uh, I think you're rooting against Matt Damon in his character for most of the movie, but at the same time, you at least... You get that same feeling of, like, can he... Is this going to be the moment when the the cops find out it's him? Yeah, I I never had any empathy toward that character, especially when he turns on Nicholson, and then it's like, God, what do you even have? Like, what quality do you have now? You're not even loyal to the right. bad guys. Yeah, I guess I don't mean that you like him. I think I just mean that like through the way the movie, I don't know this. The I think you you understand his feelings of paranoia is all I'm getting at. Oh god, yeah. And I think it does a really good job of making you feel that even though you despise the character and you're rooting against him and you want him to you want him to fail. At the same time you the editing builds up that that sort of tension in you. Uh, not just for Leo's character but for uh, for Matt Damon's as well. It does a really good job. And that you know, I'd always I'd heard we all talk about how Scorsese always uses the same like old lady as his editor. Right. I can see why in this movie. I think it might be her best. Yeah. And I think she kind of like, she drives. And Scorsese, I'm sure, is there for 100% of it, mm-hmm. too. The, I did also notice something that uh, was new to me in this movie. I always thought it was kind of like DiCaprio and Jack Nicholson dominating the show. But I honestly wasn't really impressed with them in this movie as much as Matt Damon, to a certain extent, and Mark Wahlberg, who's the only Oscar nominee from it, just fucking killed it. Wahlberg He's so good. Awesome in that yeah. movie. He's got, like, what, four scenes? Yeah. And they're all, like, fantastic. He is turned up to 11. In written for him, too. Yeah. It's so good. I laughed out loud during the... They're uh, trying to... It's, like, one of the first where they're trying to bust... What's the Jack Nicholson's character's name? Um, Costello. Costello. And uh, he leans over to the guy and he goes, or the guy says, who the fuck are you? And he tells him to do something and Mark Wahlberg goes, I'm the guy who does his job. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> I, guess that makes I, guess, you the, I guess you're the other guy. I guess that makes you the other guy. <laughs> um, it was really clever writing. Also really like Alec Baldwin in that movie. Yeah. Alec, he just beats the shit out of that guy. I also laughed. I felt bad for laughing because it was not a comedic point, but he wails on that dude. Yeah. Um, really good. I... Uh, yeah, it was fun rewatching. I watched a 1992 movie called The Player. You ever seen The Player? It's a Robert Altman movie. Tim Robbins as a movie studio executive. Never seen. He's a uh, studio executive who is getting threatening letters or threatening postcards from some. So basically, Tim Robbins' job in The Player is he is the guy who meets with prospective screenwriters and then basically gets to tell one out of every hundred that he meets with that yes, I will pass your script along. And so he's he's getting like threatening postcards from uh, some writer, some anonymous writer who he rejected his. And he was like, his thing is he always says, "I'll call you back. I'll I'll get back to you." And he never gets back to anyone. And it's this really bizarre movie um, about how he just kind of picks one writer who he met with and decides that must be the guy. And winds up murdering him. <laughs> and just that winds up not being the main issue he has throughout the movie. Which I think is like Robert Altman. So Robert Altman was like 
sort of not really blacklisted, but he made like two movies that people didn't like in the eighties and they didn't let him make movies for another five, six years or so. Right. And so I think this was Altman just um giving a big middle finger to Hollywood. Just like fantasizing. Like <laughs> I mean, yeah, not no, I think it's he is making Tim Robbins the like villain. Okay. He he's the face of the villainous uh, studios. The studios are definitely the villain in the movie because it's I mean, they will protect their executive who commits murder, but um, if Tim Robbins happens to produce a picture that's not a huge moneymaker though, oh, he's fucking out at that point. Nice. So, it's kind of it's a comedy. It's got so many people in it. So many uh, stars <laughs> that you that's would recognize. A, that's an Altman staple as well. They're all just playing themselves. It's just random occurrences. Like, uh, apparently what Altman would do is uh, he would just call a bunch of people and say, we're going to be filming. Um, you might not make it into the movie, but you might just be standing in the background somewhere. And you can do you can see there's like scenes with parties and whatnot. You can just see like, is that Robert Duvall playing a piano? Like, way in the background? Yes. <laughs> and 92, just, you said? Yeah, 1992. Fun. It's uh, it's good. It's good. I think it's overrated a little bit by some people because it was Altman's like comeback movie, and because it was just like sort of anti Hollywood. But it's good. I nice. would recommend it. It's on Filmstruck. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is another rewatch. Uh, Hannibal, two thousand one movie Hannibal, which I always remembered as being awful. Have you ever seen it? Bits and pieces. You seen it? Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I saw it in theaters too, and that's a weird movie for a seventeen-year-old to go see yeah. in a movie theater. Um, not good, but not as bad as I remembered. The performances were pretty good. Chris, do you know what Oscar winner plays the the guy on the bed? He's all deformed. I knew at some point. I'm gonna say Judge Reinhold. <laughs> Oscar winner Judge Reinhold. Yeah, it's a uh, Gary Oldman. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, unrecognizable and uncredited originally. Right? Uncredited originally yeah. when the movie came out. Yeah. This this movie is not that bad, but it's just it strikes me as one of those movies where you get done watching and you're like I feel like they felt pressured to make this movie without having a good story. Or even a, though it's a story. Even though it's based on Thomas Harris's novel Hannibal. But that happens with authors too though. I was about to say it's that's probably where it happened, which is Thomas Harris is like, I need some money. <laughs> I don't really have a good Hannibal Lecter story to tell, so let's just write. Let's just start writing one and see what comes out. I would not in any way recommend Hannibal, but if you really, really are curious, then it's not a waste of time. It's so. How much worse is Julianne Moore as Clarice Starling than Jodie Foster? It's hard to gauge because I don't. I don't think it's really her fault. I think she's she's a little worse, but that's mostly because Jodie Foster just is Clarice Starling. Right. But um, the problem is that Clarice in this movie is just older and like jaded and just boring too. She's just more boring. It's it's the, the the dynamic of the first one, which is a monster caged talking to a trainee who's just idealistic and everything. That's the great dynamic. Now it's just Hannibal's been on the loose for ten years and. Clarice has just been doing her job for 10 years, and they're both just kind of boring. So, same answer for how much worse is Anthony Hopkins' performance in this? Same answer, kind of? Same answer, yeah. He probably could have been great if he had some material to work with. I feel like he suffers from... Do y'all feel like he suffers... Like, we always talk about the Caprio who makes amazing choices. 
and yeah. selecting what movies he's going to be in, and Anthony Hopkins doesn't <laughs> feel like like he's a great actor, but he just picks some real stinkers. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. A, yeah. that was a weird one. Um, that makes her great podcasting. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Watch the nineteen ninety five movie that I. Am I've always been surprised I've never seen before. It's a Richard Linklater movie, and he's one of my favorite directors. Uh, I finally watched Before Sunrise, the Ethan Hawke. Me and you have been talking about seeing that trilogy for years. Lived up to the hype. I fucking love this movie. Loved it, loved it, loved it. One of the best romances I've ever seen. It's, I don't think any movie has ever so perfectly captured in both characters the, the excitement of meeting someone new and getting to know them. Wow. And starting to fall for them. Um, just how authentic both of them are in that role. There's a scene where they're, um, they go back to this back room in a record store and they're listening to a record. And each one keeps kind of glancing at the other one, but then their eyes never meet. And I don't know how coordinated, I don't know how they coordinated that. It's incredible. But like they're, they kind of, it's, they're, They've just met. They've just met on a train, and they uh, they don't want to seem too into the other one, but they mm-hmm. both are very into the other one. And so it's the scene of where they're just listening to a song, and you can tell they both like want to kiss the other one, and they're just they keep like looking at the ceiling. They keep like looking at the. They're just like looking at the every now and then they'll glance at the other one, and they they're trying to like play it cool, but I don't know. Uh, it's just. Enchanted by yeah. this movie, awesome. and it was, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, nice. Might might do a talk of fame at some point down the road for it because it's really loved it. Cool. Um, it's always fun when you get to watch something like that for the first time. It's been out for a while. Yeah, yeah. you're like shit. This movie's been out for twenty years, and I love it. And I'd always heard that the two sequels to it, which the first one is Before Sunset, I think it's and I, then Before Midnight is the third one. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. and um, I always heard those two are just as good as the original. Like it's, it's the most tr- recent one came out like this decade, right? Twenty twelve. Yeah. I say. Yeah. So I'm gonna be checking those out whenever I can get a hold of them. Nice. But that's about it. I don't want to talk. I, I watched some Abbott and Costello movies last <laughs> night that I don't want to get into. There, there were weirdly one one that's okay. It's on Amazon. It's called Who Done It. It's a very simple little murder mystery inside a radio studio and then uh, I definitely don't recommend Africa Screams which is a cringeworthy uh, trip to Africa and it goes about as you would expect for a movie written by white people in the 1940s is it like bones in the nose Africans and like lip discs for everyone and I don't want to talk about it Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's it's awkward and then uh, they did a movie in the 50s called Jack and the Beanstalk I also really don't recommend this one. Although, it is so bafflingly strange that it's almost entertainingly bad. Almost. But not quite. So don't watch it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's what I watched. Thanks for giving me 20 minutes of our time. That's how much everybody could get today. It'd be fun. Yeah. So, I'll jump in next. I got a little little, little shorty update. Um, watched a TV show on Netflix. Netflix original. Uh, watched season two of Luke Cage. Hmm. I am, just like Glow, I watched everything but the last episode for some reason. Nice. Uh, Luke Cage is just such a fun story. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's the hero of Harlem, so it's, you know, all these, like, small crimes, small things that affect, like, the neighborhood of Harlem in New York City, 
and that's it. It's not like how Daredevil 2 started talking about ninjas and the ultimate weapon, or how, like, there's no, like, big conspiracies. It's, there are gangs fighting for control of Harlem. And in this one, they've got uh, Brooklyn gangs, the Yardies? Maybe it's the Yardies. I forgot their name now. But it's, uh, it's Jamaican gangs. And it's Jamaican gangs are trying to knock off like the big business leaders in Harlem for control. Nice. And it's Luke Cage. He's the you know hero for hire. He's a bulletproof man, and he's just cool. And <clears throat> it's still like that faux black exploitation, uh, like jazz, reggae, hip hop, like soundtrack that plays over every scene, and it's just it's just super fun. Uh, people criticize the show for being having corny dialogue, but it's supposed to, right? Like it's. It's supposed to be a series that's like out of time, kind of like just just pulled from an era and placed in front of you. But it's really good. I recommend it. It's so far the only Netflix Marvel original series where I would wholeheartedly recommend both seasons. Nice. Have you seen everything that's yeah? Released? I've seen all the other Defenders stuff. They're all every every first season except for Iron Fist is really good. Every first season of, of each of the five. Characters. So Deadpool and Jessica Jones don't. Does Jessica Jones have a season two yet? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jessica Jones second season is eh. Daredevil second season. I think. I think I'm. I'm firmly on the side that it's like not good. Iron Fist hasn't had a second, and Punisher hasn't had a second. Do okay. you think Iron Fist will? I don't think so. It was so horribly reviewed. I don't think out. so. It's. It's just bad. Kelly just watched it all just because she wanted to have something in the background, and also she has context because she skipped it and went straight to Defenders. Um. And Defenders is okay, you know. It's, it really suffers for having the Iron Fist in it. Yeah. So, if it was just Punisher, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage, I would say that the whole property is great. But Iron Fist stuff is so bad. It's always weird to me when... And Iron Fist makes me think of this. It's always weird to me when uh, studios want to get... They, they, they like getting somebody from a hit TV show, but they get like characters that are just just throwaway characters from the hit TV show. I mean, Iron Fist is, he's what, uh, I thought one of the least interesting characters on Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. That actor. Yeah. I forgot that he played Renly. Did he? Wait, Renly? No, he played Loras. Loras. Loras Terrell. Yeah. Renly's lover. Right. Right. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, it's like casting Eddie from Frasier. Eddie the dog from Frasier as a main <laughs> character. The first, the first of the Stark children I ever saw in a uh, in like a major motion picture was uh, I saw Rickon. San Andreas and the little uh, brother in San Andreas Rickon. is fucking Rickon. Like, <laughs> out of all the, the movies, kids. so bad. Yeah. But there's, there's no way for anyone, no matter how hot your show is, for anyone's star to shine brighter than The Rock. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The only, the only property that can that can really hold him up and still have other stars shine is Fast and the Furious. And uh, I'm just going to say, say that for later. There's ridiculous shit that's happening in that universe. No surprise um, about The Rock. But anyway, Luke Cage, real good. Really good. It's it's driven Kelly to start doing her Jamaican accent impressions. And if you don't know Kelly personally, her, yes. her impressions are terrific. <laughs> Wait, she's really good at Jamaican accents, though. Yeah, because she's all of her other it. accents turn into Jamaican, <laughs> Jamaican accents, right? So it's just like Kelly, do a Scottish accent. <laughs> what one? Yeah. I forget what, hey, what she was originally doing the other night, but I loved the follow-up, which was, and I'm also working on my Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. 
Uh, definitely a subtitle show. We were watching it, and there's a weird thing that happens with the subtitles where they kind of whitewash the Jamaicans uh, because they <laughs> oh, have no. to. Because it'll be like, you'll read the subtitle, and it'll say like, you know, like, but this, like, I don't care, I'm waging war. But the guy will say like, nonsense, me time war. And it's just like, what? <laughs> so it's good that they do that, but I also thought it was a little strange. I would rather be reading what they're saying and not like, here you go, white people, here's what he's saying. Right. Um, but other than that, I went to the movie Theater on Friday. And I saw Incredibles 2, finally. Yay! How was it? Really good. Really good. I'm not going to talk too much about it. I'm sure that, that TJ, you're going to see it sometime soon. Yeah, maybe as early as tonight. Yeah. Before this podcast airs. Um, my favorite thing about it, without giving too much away, is that the movie starts exactly where Incredibles 1 ended. Oh, fun. So despite there being 14 that. years between, like, you know how the end of Incredibles 1, it's a... Uh, oh, shit, I forgot his name. Mole? Yeah, it's like the the mole people. It starts with him, like that battle. Yep, nice. And that, it's just it's just really cool because it's, you know, it doesn't have to play. Is Jack, Jack in that battle? Is he with them or is it just for them? Um, he's with them. Okay. Uh, that last scene where they're all like ready to right go, they all put their mask on. Yeah, yeah. It's a good ending. It's the yeah. poster ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's really cool um, that they do that, and it's. It, it gets them to a point where they can do the, like the, the callbacks without them feeling like callbacks because they just happened to these characters like days prior, right? So like you know the 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 Frozone joke where his wife is, is like, hey, I, I, I need to go somewhere. I'll be back in fifteen minutes. And when she says like, you said fifteen minutes last time, it makes sense, right? Because it's like it was like three four days ago where he said. Like, I just have to step out for 15 minutes. Like, it's... I don't know. It's it's really well done. Brad Bird is an incredible asset for that company. It's very funny, uh, which I wasn't... Like, it felt like this was going to fall victim to a lot of the best jokes getting played out in the trailer, and it isn't. Nice. Um, and also just uh, love me some Elastigirl. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter's so good in the voice role there. Yeah. Holly Hunter, Craig T. Nelson, like, being your, like, star voice actors just seems like... And fucking Sam Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam Jackson seems like the obvious choice, but the two of them, like... Yeah. You know, like, what has Craig T. Nelson done other than, like, coach that you could point to and be like, that's Craig T. Nelson. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's... It's... Surprise, surprise, Pixar's done it again. <laughs> yeah, like, no kidding. They, they've got a non-Cars movie that's pretty good. Right. Um, I gave it four and a half. I, it's like averaging at four, but... Nice. You know, it's, it's just really cool. You Fun. Know? I'm excited. The, the, we literally I went to the theater too this past week and we flipped a coin between one movie and that. <laughs> Couldn't decide. But that's mine. So what did you end up seeing? Uh, I went and saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I've heard the experiences of that movie are kind of all over the place. There are some people who think it's like the worst Jurassic Park movie and then there are some who are just like this is the first one this is the first of the sequels to try anything really new. So that is definitely the case. Yeah. I felt like I knew the plot from the trailers. I know we talked to some about that, and we were all wrong, so that's fun. Cool. Um, I always like that. Yeah. So, it was good. It's, it is solidly the third best Jurassic Park movie ever. Maybe the second best ever. Okay. Well, what's it in contention with? Jurassic World. Okay. It is, it is much better than two, and solidly better than three. And nowhere near one, obviously. <laughs> right, yeah. Um... 
It was really good. It's uh, there's not really any performances that are great, but the dialogue's really good and the story's just fun. It is something you didn't really see coming. There's some twists that are fun. They're not like mind blowing, but they're good. I know the director. They played the science. The, the way they use the science in the real world and project it into the future is absolutely great. The uh, the director of the movie he has just like a horror background, right? And I think did that could you tell that, that he was like more skilled in directing? Absolutely. There's a scene in the beginning where there's an allosaurus kind of walking down a tunnel, and there's a fire happening, like explosions going off. So you see this like shape in the distance. And then you see it a little closer, and the oh, light booms again. And then you see it closer, and the light booms again. That's really cool. So there are horror elements in this movie that were never in any of the Jurassic Park movies, even though they tried them. Like uh, Jurassic Park Three is supposed to be sort of a horror element movie, but it's just Don't done, work. yeah, in a boring manner. So there's there's and there are five or six scenes like that. They're like, ooh, it's creepy. Yeah, just, fun. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was, it was good. I, I would definitely would recommend it. I forgot to mention, to butt into your list, Yeah, I, I probably saw uh, the first guaranteed Oscar winner, the short before Incredibles 2. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it's Bao. It's about an Asian woman who makes a uh, a steam bun and it turns into a boy that she cares for. Oh. Um, and it's, like, heartwarming. And there's, you know, like good, good turns to the story that feel good. But anyway, I wanted to interject that I saw Bao. How long was it? It's like... Four and a half minutes. It's not long at all. Yeah, they're good at that. Yeah, Pixar is fun. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I saw several movies. Uh, I saw 2018 movie Rampage. Sick. Yeah. Is it the best video game movie you've ever seen? Oh, I feel like I broke you with That's that. That's hard. It's got a shot. Apparently, it's either that or Tomb Raider. And it's probably this. This movie had more fun. It's just a fun, it, at some point, like, I feel like they show you the animals too quick. Because, like, an hour into the movie, you're like, hey, now, now what? Like, yeah. that gorilla's fucking huge still. Yeah. And, yep, the wolf can fly. You told me that in the trailer. Right. <laughs> so there's just nothing, like, surprising. Or it, it at least, it at least the, the trailers before the movie came out hid Lizzie. The only thing you see of Lizzie is you see Lizzie swimming in the river. Yeah, Lizzie was pretty disappointing. I don't know. I mean, George is cool. Do they call the wolf Ralph? I don't think so. Damn it. I don't think they call Lizzie Lizzie either. Just George. Seeing him grow is kind of cool. Like seeing him morph into that thing. Yeah. Uh, who's the guy who plays the bad guy now on Walking Dead? What's his name? Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Yes. He is good, but he plays kind of like the the rogue federal agent. I work for Sector 9. There is no Sector 9. <laughs> like... That kind of guy, so he like, does that well. I was about to say he's played Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah, so yeah. it's like yeah, right. It's real heartthrob that it's guy. The whole career I've played the comedian. Yeah, so I wouldn't recommend Rampage, but it's, I mean, yeah, you Chris should definitely see it. Anybody <laughs> who like loves video games should go see it because it might be the best video game movie ever made. And I don't recommend any video game movies that have ever been created. Apparently, I'm just now realizing that. <laughs> Somebody asked me like, should I see any video game movies? Nope. If somebody asked me if they should watch the Silent Hill movie, I would say yes. Yeah, I wouldn't. But I don't think the Silent Hill movie is a bad movie. I think I think people should watch Super Mario Brothers just because of how batshit crazy it is. It is fucking insane. 
<laughs> I want to rewatch it sometime soon. Uh, That's a movie that is interesting and bad. <laughs> yeah, we all come up with two. David can come up with one. Sorry, David. Uh, Chris's was uh, the room. Yeah, <laughs> super interesting and awful. And yeah, Super Mario Brothers is a great example. It's interesting and bad. I, I feel like you could find a lot of them if you listen to the podcast. How did this get made? It's yeah, uh, yeah. Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and Jason Manzukis, where they answer the question, "How did this get made?" So it's like you know, there's obviously something interesting about how they got made, but they're probably terrible. Uh, I watched some some others that weren't great, but I could see where somebody might like them. I watched, I rewatched uh, Nick and Doris Infinite Playlist. Have you all seen that? Yeah, mm-hmm. you seen it. Maybe it's just... It's twee as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Get Fluffy? Is that the name of the band? Where's Fluffy? Where's Fluffy? Fluffy is the name of the band. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's fun. Soundtrack's pretty good. It's Michael Sarah playing Michael Sarah that you would, you know, yeah. picture. Yeah, Kat Dennings is really good in that movie. Yeah, she's far better than Michael Sarah. Uh, but, again, I gave it three stars because I'm like a rom-com and the music element's good, but I could... Easily see that being sounds about right though. It's I feel like it's an above average rom com. Yeah, yeah, slightly, but but close to average. Right, yeah. it's not bad. I, I picture TJ watching it, the credits starting to roll, and you going next, and just starting up another rom com. And I did. I started <laughs> Catch and Release, which I've always wanted to watch because I love rom coms, and I've never seen it. Do you know anything about? I've this never movie? heard of this movie. Is it a Matthew McConaughey boat movie? No. Okay. Because um, there was there was that year where he had two of those. Fool's Gold and something else, I forget. It's written and directed by Susanna Grant, and uh, she has not done anything of note other than this. And I only say this is of note because it's uh, starring Jennifer Garner, Timothy Oliphant, and Kevin Smith. Juliette Lewis. Uh, Kevin Smith, actually, probably the best part of the movie. Okay. And he's he's good. He plays, like, the chubby kind of... So the plot is Jennifer Garner's fiancé dies on some accident... You never know what the accident is. You know it's on his bachelor party, but you know it's not, like, bad. It doesn't make him look bad that he died. It's just very sad. And she, they live in Boulder, and she ends up spending the night with his two best friends and kind of living with them and, like, commiserating and having fun together. They all go fly fishing. And they're played by Kevin Smith and Sam Yeager. Um, That guy's going to be in the new It movie, right? Is that where I know that name from? I don't know. I'll be finding this out while you keep talking. Uh, I will be not paying attention to you. Timothy Oliphant is a friend of the deceased fiancé who is a rich uh, director out in California. He comes back to Boulder for the funeral, falls in love with Jennifer Gardner. They end up finding out that her fiancé was kind of a bad guy. He had a second family in California with Juliette Lewis and had a kid. And it kind of goes through all the, like, her dealing with all that. They find out he's also, like, super charitable. Yeah. So it's hard to, like, pin down. Right. I, I gave it three stars. It was kind of interesting. I really did enjoy Kevin Smith's kind of side, bumbling friend character. Yeah. Um, he has an attempted suicide early on that's, I don't know, seemed realistic. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty good. And I'm really not a fan of Jennifer Garner or Kevin Smith. Yeah, I acting. So when, when you said that cast, I had that reaction because, like Juliette Lewis, Jennifer Garner, Timothy Oliphant, Kevin Smith, Sam Yeager. Yeah, like that all sounds like like Hollywood second choices. Yeah, like the fiance's mom is the Dursley mother from the Harry Potter franchise. Okay, which is weird, but just has that face where she came on screen. And I was like, that's her. I know. I'm positive where you're, I know that face. You're from. Dursley. 
Is he in it? Uh, absolutely not. Okay. I completely made that up. <laughs> nice. Good job. Sam Yeager. Yeah, Sam Yeager. He broke the uh, sound barrier, right? That's, that's him. <laughs> Wait, Sam Yeager. He's the guy who jumped from that from that balloon, right? Did the halo jump? <laughs> Sam Yeager's in Pacific Rim, right? They ride in him. He's a Yeager. Uh, so again, I would recommend catch and release, especially if you're a rom-com fan. I would. And if uh, you're not, I can definitely see you not liking that film. Uh, I watched a Netflix original 2018 movie called Tau. Tau? Tau? T-A-U. It is a movie about a billionaire who needs to kidnap people to use their electricity created from their brains to run his hyper-intelligent AI system named Tau. Voiced Mm -hmm. by Gary Oldman. Tau is. Um, The only other two people in the movie are... Micah Monroe, she's the lead in It Follows. That's okay. all she's done. I really like her. And Ed Screen, who plays the guy from Game of Thrones, the character they changed. Oh, uh, Diana Harris? Yes. He played the original shitty one. Oh. And he is the eccentric I, billionaire. I did not like him in Game of Thrones. No, no he's fine <laughs> he's like, in this. the worst dog. Uh, again, <laughs> why do they keep picking the shitty characters? Yeah. Shitty actors why is this guy's name Ed Screen? <laughs> yeah, no shit. She's in a she's in another movie too uh, that was really good. What else the guest, the guest, yeah, yeah, that's it. That was good. It's billed as a horror movie, and I would hesitate to call it that. It's got some some scary stuff. There's a giant robot that essentially guards the house she's kept in, mm. uh, and he's kind of kind of creepy at times. It's more just like sci-fi dystopia. Yeah, she ends up the. I mean, it's not a far-fetched plot in the way that. You're watching this movie, you could kind of know what was going to come happen. The AI is too intelligent, kind of falls in love with her as a friend, and kind of doesn't want to see her punished anymore. Right. Or like kept against her will. And that's pretty quick, and then it's kind of them two working together, and I don't know. It was was fun. And I watched one more movie that... Oh, before you... I had a question about her. Do you think that... You said this is kind of billed or pitched as a horror movie. Do you think she is... The new, the Jamie Lee Curtis of her generation, where she's going to start being in like... I do think she's a screen queen. Yeah. I would, I would classify her as a screen queen at the moment. Or at least I mean, it follows the guest in this. She's super young. It could obviously change directions at sure. some point, but to to be in three different non-franchised, like non-sequential movies that are all in that in that vein, that's, that's interesting. Because she's pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I watched another rom-com, and again, it was a slightly above average, um, but I would recommend this one to anybody. It's uh, Taika Waititi's first movie, Eagle vs. Shark. Oh, cool. I've seen that. Yeah. It's a weird little movie. It is a very weird little movie. Jermaine Clement, full circle. We started with Moana, we yeah. ended with Eagle vs. Shark. <laughs> nice. Uh, he co-wrote that, right? Jermaine Clement? Yes. Yeah. And the lead actress is not really an actress. She was Taika Waititi's partner at the time. Yeah. Um, and sh- you can kind of tell she wasn't great in it. But it's like, I think my review was like, it's like Napoleon Dynamite-ish. It's just really, really weird characters. It's like irreverent, awkward humor, pretty much nonstop. Like, really uncomfortable situations. and Constantly. Yeah. Until the end. Yeah. Um, with people that you just tell aren't that smart. They're just not, they're just kind of dumb people. Right. It's, I mean, it's... Yeah, it makes it endearing at times, but it also makes it incredibly awkward at times. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of positioned as like a here's a a weird corner of life in New Zealand 
Yeah. Like, a, a country that we don't often put the lens on unless we make it fantastic, like in Lord of the Rings. Here are, like, real people living, and they are just as weird here as anywhere in the world. Yeah, to the weird part where, like, her brother, who's also dumb, drops the two of them off. And he says, like, she's like, will you say the thing? Say the thing. And he's like, I'll be back. And they both think it's, like, hilarious. <laughs> and this takes place in 2007. Like, yeah. They're like, he does an amazing Arnold. Like, he comes up multiple times. Um, so it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a great first film for somebody like Taika Waititi, I think. Yeah. But but I would, I would recommend it, would you? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not. I, it's it's so strange that it's a $100,000 movie. Yeah. yeah. So now you've seen all of Taika Waititi's then. Yes. What we do in the shadows, there's Eagle vs. Shark and Thor Ragnarok, right? That's it's just three. I think he's got a fourth. Uh, no, I have not. I have not seen Hunt for the Wilder People. That's, that's the other one. That's what Hunt for the Wilder People. It got great reviews. Okay, yeah. it's uh, average four stars on Netflix. Cool. You should put it on your list. I will. It's cool. The like, tagline is "Nature just got gangster." I love that. <laughs> I love. I love being able to cross off a filmography. It's uh, Sam Neill and Julian Dennison. Who Julian Dennison is the kid from Deadpool two. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like that kid. Uh, and it's. Sam Neill like takes him on an Sam Neill's an eccentric like crazy hunter takes him on a hunting trip is what it looks like. Okay. Yep. The the cover that is like Sam Neill and the kid and then just like a screaming boar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll I'll check that out if it's streaming anywhere for sure. But that's it. I've got a couple breezy notes. If you guys want to move on to breezy, I think I think we're there. Mm-hmm. So I think the big news of the week is all of the stars, including Maisie Williams. Game of Thrones is a wrap. They have they have they have finished uh, filming. Uh, I bet there's going to be some reshoots, but you know Maisie Williams tweeted out a picture of her Converse covered in blood. Uh, you know, it's probably the only image that she could post because it, it clearly has no connection unless there's some like fucking weird dark tower synergy in this. Where I'll uh, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if a movie could be better, it's be more like Dark Tower. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yep. So expect to start seeing leaks. So put your blinders on, because uh, that's finito. I got a, uh, I got a title to the third John Wick movie. It's I called love it. John Wick Three Parabellum. Yep. Which means prepare for war. Nice. Yeah. I think it's. <laughs> I'll watch the shit out of that movie when it comes out. Yeah. I'm a big fan of those movies. They're so fun. Um, yes, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Weird. <laughs> Incredibles 2 set a record. It's the first animated movie to do $500 million domestically. Yeah. Which is a big deal. Yeah. We when, when that's without epileptic people being able to see it. <laughs> yeah. When, <laughs> the epileptic lobby has lost. <laughs> when, we, when we saw it, the theater was packed. I thought everyone was going to be like buying tickets for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And this was on a night where MoviePass wasn't working. So like, it was, it was so packed. The amount of people that were standing to the side, so confused, but their apps not pulling up. Yeah, the movie and as listings. soon as it didn't work, I was like, let's just buy a ticket. It doesn't matter. I had to do it twice. They refunded me both times. Yeah, it's not an issue. Also, just like go check their Twitter. Oh, there's a pinned tweet that says, "Hey, we're aware there are problems." Uh, other other piece of news that I saw. Um, there are plans in the works. To do a Fast and the Furious spinoff movie, starring The Rock, so it's going to be all about like The Rock's character in in the universe. Okay. Um, opposite Idris Elba. Hmm. 
Fun. So, I don't know how... I feel like people keep trying to cash the Idris Elba check for action movies, and so far Dark, Dark Tower didn't work, but obviously the Thor movies did. Um, you know, Heimdall's a very big part of Thor Ragnarok, but it's a <clears throat> another movie in that series that I will watch. Nice. Alright, so I think now we're going to recommend what you need to see if you're uh, heading out to the theater this weekend. And it's a tough one. It's a close race between uh, Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation, and Skyscraper, the rock movie Ooh. featuring a skyscraper. And Nev Campbell, I think? Yes, Nev Campbell. I'm going to say that with authority <laughs> now. So is it just a limited release for... Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Uh, yes. Yeah, because that would be my recommendation because I saw the trailer for that when I was in D.C. and it looked cool. Yeah, mine too. But I don't get to pick that one. We cheated last week. We can't cheat this week too. Whitney has expanded, but Whitney apparently is... Somebody figure out how to make an awful documentary, I've read. And the documentary on Whitney Houston, it's called Whitney, is oh. apparently awful. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm, well... Yeah. I bet the Senate score is off the roof, too, because I can't picture many people going to see a Whitney Houston documentary and leaving disappointed. Anyone who's rushing to go see any documentary... Right. Like... They already like it. Yeah. Documentaries on Rotten Tomatoes are also, like, almost always inflated, just Mm because they're so hard to fuck up. I would go see Skyscraper. I watched the first Hotel Transylvania movie, and it fucking sucked. Yeah. First Hotel Transylvania movie came out the same year that Paranorman came out, and the same year that Frankenweenie came out. And they were all nominated for Best Animated Feature. So I was like, well, I guess I'm watching three Halloween movies when it's not Halloween. And yeah. I watched them all. And Hotel Transylvania was by far the worst. Yeah, it's so bad. It's the For those of you who don't know, it's the Happy Madison crew. Right. Adam Sandler plays Dracula. Yeah. And the, the whole plot in the first one is, he's got a daughter. Right. Um, but I never saw the second one, and I probably won't see the third one. This one, they're going on a cruise. And it turns out that the cruise director is Van Helsing's daughter. And she's lured all these monsters into a trap. Um, but it looks really dumb. They keep playing that stupid fucking joke about Nosferatu being a sexy old grandpa. And it's gross and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Got a trailer for that before Incredibles. So so Skyscraper could be the thing I've been uh, wanting to happen for a long time. Which is an original, fun action movie that's good. I want another National Treasure. <laughs> which I call a good movie. And if you disagree, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> Uh, so I'll say Skyscraper. Maybe it's not horrible, but I bet it's going to be horrible. Yeah, I bet it's going to be bad, I bet it's going to be campy, there's going to be lots of action movie tropes, but it'll be entertaining. It's my pick, too. I mean, if you're ever going to see it, see it on a big screen. True. Yeah. Anything else, guys? I think that's it. I think this is the time when we end the podcast. Yay! <laughs> well, thanks for listening to Talkie Talk, podcast for the mediabias.com. Be sure to check us out online at the website. And on Facebook, there are multiple Facebook groups. You can uh, join in on the chat. Movies by us, TV by us, and games by us. And please like our Facebook page, The Media by Us. Contact us on Gmail or through Twitter. Uh, We'll get back to you pretty darn quick, I would think. Yes. I want to give special thanks to the Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers. Provide the intro music and Boorifa. Boorifa. Always provide the outro music. Chris, Brent, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, DJ. Later. Yeah.